how can we be protected from the mind over matter teaching that sweeps across America, especially victimizing in times of economic despair? As the first century believers took the good news about Jesus' victory over death into Samaria, they faced a con artist who held multitudes under his spell. Let's join our study leader, Dave Wurtson, and discover what Dr. Luke reveals to us about true spiritual power and authority versus the deception of magic and the occult. Was a few years ago, somebody came in and said, hey, you need to look at this. This is the latest thing. And it was a DVD. It was called The Secret. James Arthur Ray was one of the guys on that little DVD. And James Arthur Ray became the latest and uprising guru in the self-help thing. How many of you have ever been in a big sales motivational? You heard incredibly enthralling speakers challenging you. You ever listen to tapes early in the morning? Now, some of that is just teaching you self-discipline. It's teaching you that if you have a positive spirit, that it's going to bring joy to your life. Some of it is just what Egyptian wise men knew, Mesopotamian wise men knew, modern United States wise people know about those things. But in our culture, it's often mixed with something else. James Arthur Ray taught that if you would only listen to him, And you need to watch out for this. I don't care if you're at a business seminar. A lot of you are in education. You're going to be exposed to this. Some of you that are in police, we're going to be exposed to this. You hear someone say, I have the secret. That's a big word. When you hear, I have the secret, watch out. Because the next thing they're going to ask you, they're going to tell you, if you'll only listen to my secret then you can be healthy, you can be wealthy. James Arthur Ray said that you can have holistic wealth, you can have this incredible wealth. Harmonic Wealth was his latest book. And he made millions. He lived in a beautiful mansion out in California. And what he was basically saying, if you listen to his secret, if you banish those negative thoughts, if you learn to tap into the powers using his teaching then you can find success in life. Especially during economic times, you're attracted to that. If you're going through the tough times, you're, you're looking for anything. If you have someone in your family that has some really tough illnesses, you're looking for someone like this. And you have across the United States, you have what you call mind over matter teaching. You basically, the idea is that if you tap in with the right formula, You can actually create reality with your thoughts. You're exposed to that like crazy. It's one of the most persistent teachings in the United States of America. If you're raised in a Christian science background, Mary Baker Eddy was one of the major teachers of that. She's not the source of it. It goes way back to colonial times. But the basic idea is you create reality in your own mind. And if you can just learn to say the right formulas in your mind, use the right ritual, then you can overcome whatever disease you have. You can make a ton of money. You can be divine. You can be God within you. Where does it lead? Let's see where it leads. Where did James Arthur Ray lead people? Look at this. In the end, the power of positive thinking. Your wishes might come out. The law of attraction, as they call it, in that best-selling book and DVD, The Secret, Law of attraction says like attracts like. And as you lock your attention upon that, then bang, you've got a Mercedes. 
And that's how it works. In the end, that message that James Ray preached so loudly and so profitably for so many years was not enough to save him from the justice system. This case began in October 2009 in Sedona, Arizona, sometimes called the New Age Vatican, where Ray held what he called the Spiritual Warrior Retreat. Participants paid nearly 10 grand for five days of breathing exercises, journal entries, and elaborate games where Ray played the role of God. The culminating event was a sweat lodge ceremony inside this low-slung wooden hut. Did you have a sense at all that it would be dangerous? Yeah, for, for me, you know, he said, um, you know, you may feel like you're going to die, but you're not. That's just your body reacting. I trusted him 100%. More than 50 people were jammed inside. There were blazing hot rocks in the middle, and water was poured on top of them. When did you realize that something was going wrong in there? Um, after the first round when the door opened and people came out, I was shocked. I was shocked at the condition of the people that came out. In a story she first told right here on Nightline and then repeated on the stand at trial, former James Ray staffer Melinda Martin, who was stationed right outside the lodge, says as the ceremony progressed, the condition of the participants became quite dire. Now I was dealing with people in trances and saying they were dying and they, they, their arm skin was gone. I mean, it, this was right away. So this sounds like a horror show. It was. Many of these current and former Ray followers were inside. And then he dumped the water on. You could hear it sizzling. You could see the, the pit turn red. And then I just, I just remember almost seeing the, the steam just come roll. And it was just it was like inhaling fire. And, and it became instantly difficult to breathe because I'm like used to breathing fire. People were coming out uh, screaming, saying, you know, things like, I'm dying, I'm dying, please don't let me die. What was James saying to people who were trying to leave? Like, like it's been said before, hey, you know, you're more than that. You, you could push through this. Why'd you say? Because I was okay. I was also, I but was But you feeling... might not have been okay five minutes in the, into the future. That's five minutes in the future. I was okay right then. Melinda Martin says as she performed CPR on a dying woman, her boss simply stared. And I look up and he's standing right over my head, watching. He's watching from stand-up position. He didn't offer to help. He didn't say anything, nothing at all. Did you see him do anything to help anybody? No. Nothing? Nothing. James Arthur Ray promised you that he could give you light. It ended up with three people dead in the desert. Kirby Brown was only 39 years old. James Shore was only 40. And Liz Newman's daughter put her on the airplane in California, a healthy 49-year-old. And she got the word over the news that her mom was dead. How can you be protected from a James Arthur Ray? Acts chapter 8. I want you to turn there, because if you're a teenager, if you're a young person, if some of you are just starting out in your career, I want you to know that the reason why we study the Word of God is one of the good news realities is that there have been con artists down through time. In the first century, there were con artists. James Arthur Ray in the first century was a guy named Simon. And Dr. Luke, as the first century church is getting going, 
and it's beginning to be established in Jerusalem, and then as it spreads forward, as we're going to find out, we've learned how Satan, and we're going to pick up that story again, how Satan attacks the church through persecution, and that doesn't work. Then he brings in a false teacher, very similar to what you just saw with James Arthur Ray, only if you know what Acts 8 is revealing to you, what we're going to learn this morning, then whenever you hear someone promising, I've got a secret, I can teach you how to have success, if you'll only give me $10,000, you can become one of my special spiritual warriors in the desert, you'll know, man, I ain't going, because God's protected me and kept me from deception. Turn to James, uh, Acts chapter 8. And in Acts chapter 8, we begin with a swing passage. As you're reading through the book of Acts, like every good story, you have transitions. And we begin with a, a transition passage, but it's an important one because it teaches us that rather than persecution destroying God's church, it scatters the seed. Persecution is like a forest fire that sweeps through a Montana canyon. It looks like it's destroyed everything, but it actually germinated seeds all over the place. And the seeds blow, and in just a few more years, the little pine trees are all starting again. And you have the beautiful aspen that are down by the rivers growing again. It's amazing how the fire in a forest produces new life. The same thing happened in the body of Christ down through the centuries. Look what it says in Acts chapter 8, beginning with uh, 1b. It says, on that day, a great persecution. This is right after the destruction of Stephen and the stoning. It says, a great persecution broke out against the church of Jerusalem. All except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. What did the Lord say in Acts chapter 1, verse 8? You'll receive power, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in and Judea and Samaria. There you have Luke's reminding you. Satan is attacking, persecuting the church of Jerusalem. Saul is going from house to house, arresting people. That scatters the family out. And look what happens. It says, godly men buried Stephen, so we stopped the action. And they mourned over him. So some godly men in Jerusalem that stayed behind that were disciples and followers of Stephen's message that we studied the last time we were together, they take the time to bury Stephen. And in Jewish law, if you were a blasphemer, your body would just be trashed. The Lord didn't allow that to happen. The text tells us, and the way that you need to read this story, you need to learn what's a good thing in this story. What is it teaching me as a good example? One of the things you can learn that's not the major thrust of what I want to talk about today, but I want you to pick up on these things, is disciples of Stephen, in their burial of Stephen, they took the time to mourn over him. One of the things that's happening in American society is we just move on with life. Someone dies, we just have an hour thing, and we go right on with our business. That isn't good. It's saying life isn't that important. Life doesn't count for that much. It's not worth remembering. You're also saying in the unbelieving world, I don't want to face the fact that I'm going to die. Godly believers down through the centuries mourn over brothers and sisters that they've lost. They take the time to cry. Also want you to know, some of you feel, and I've taught you down through the years, I want to teach you again. Some of you have been taught it's wrong to express, like to really cry and to really mourn. Well, the word that's used here is they cry out. When death strikes, you have tremendous emotions of loss and, and feelings of loneliness. 
You need to let that out. And your Savior, in his word, modeled that himself. Jesus wept when he lost his friend. So Luke is telling you that in the first century church, godly men, when Stephen was stoned, they didn't just say, well, praise the Lord. He's the first martyr. It doesn't God get all the glory. And we don't need to worry about stones that took the physical life of our precious friend because we're going to live forever. It's all true. We are going to live forever. Jesus ascended to be with the resurrected Christ, but his friends hurt. And I want to share with you, I don't want you to be believers that hold those emotions in. Because when you hold them in, then you have heart attacks and you get depressed. In fact, it's the person that, it, that lets it go at a funeral. Don't be ashamed to cry, as Caucasians especially. Some of my African-American friends do much better in expressing their emotions. My, like Mary's from a Dutch background. I'm from a German-Danish background and an English background. We hold it all in. You, you, just have, you, know, you just have this placid face. Everything is fine. That's what will make you sick. And so Stephen's friends mourn deeply. And the text is teaching us that, that it's all right when you lose a friend, when there's a stoning in Jerusalem, you have a right to cry out. It also reminds us, now we have a little reminder, and it, those of you that like to write stories, this is how you write a really great story. You give a little hint, and then you drop it. You have that in the movies all the time. You have it in TV. No hit TV program makes it without doing, this is, you need to listen to what I'm saying, Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Then Luke drops the Saul story. What does that make you do? You gotta flip over a few pages. When's that story gonna pick up again? That's how they get you to turn on the TV again the next night or the next week. I want you to see that God in his holy revelation was doing that, so we need to keep the Saul story in the back of our mind. We're not gonna come back to that until a few more chapters, but this is important. Saul, at this time, is destroying the body of Christ in Jerusalem. He's the instrument Satan is using to scatter the flock, and they move up into the north. When you move from Jerusalem, you go a little bit to the north, and you're up into the Samaritan mountains. If you keep going along the Samaritan mountains, before it drops into the Valley of Jezreel, which is the Valley of Armageddon, there was a city of Samaria that has now become the city of Sebast, but it's still, or Sebast, still kept its old name. That's where we're going to focus. Notice what it says. Those who had been scattered were scared to death, and they just kept everything to themselves. They didn't want to have any more trouble. Now it says, those that had been scattered proclaimed the word wherever they went. Philip, remember, he's one of Stephen's sidekicks, one of the big seven that were used to give aid to the widows in Jerusalem, Philip went down to the city in Samaria. This would be the old city of Samaria that's now become really the Roman Greek city that Herod the Great founded named Sebast. What did he do when he got to the ancient city of Samaria? He proclaimed the Christ there. Now Luke wants you to understand, Christ to you is just a name, but to Luke in the book of Acts, it's Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the promised seed. Jesus is the promised seed that Eve was promised. She is the promised seed that Noah was going to generate. He's the promised seed that Abraham would generate. 
This is the story of the Old Testament. I want you to understand that. And I don't have time this morning to go back and remind you, but that's the point of Peter's message in Acts chapter 2. That was the point of the message I gave you with Stephen's sermon. Stephen, speaking to a Jewish audience, went back right to Father Abraham, and he traced through the story of his people, and he focused to the end, Jesus is now the Messiah. One thing I want you to understand It's going to become very powerful. It's very powerful today. Jews don't need Jesus. Only Gentiles do. You need to understand, if Jews don't need Jesus, then nobody needs Jesus. Because it happens to be that the reality of history is Jesus is Jewish. And he is the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, which is right at the heart of the Old Testament scriptures. And as soon as you hear a popular teacher, I don't care if he's your pastor or anyone else, they start to say, oh, there's other ways. And Jews don't need to receive Jesus. And Hindus don't need to receive Jesus. And Buddhists don't need to receive Jesus. You just denied the only way for someone to have eternal life. And I'm not making that up. I would never teach you that. But Philip went, the Samaritans had their own religion. And they hated Jerusalem because the Jews had come up and burned down their temple. And in the first century, when Philip went up there, they have a lot of kind of heterodox teaching. There's even a Samaritan Pentateuch. The Samaritans only believed in the first five books of Moses. So there's all kinds of different religions going on in Samaria. Philip goes in. What does he do when he arrives in the major city of Samaria? He proclaims to them, Jesus, that's Jewish, is your Messiah. There's power in that, and you need to learn how to defend that, how to look for that in the New Testament. That's what Philip preached, one of the major methods he's had. When the crowds heard Philip, so they're listening to him preach, they also saw the miraculous signs that he did. They all pay close attention to what he said, and with shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed, so that there was great joy in that city. What is it describing? The first thing that we're learning in this text is that persecution scatters the seed. The other thing I want you to see is that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, and he's the kingdom of God. He's the authority of God. So when Philip comes, he, like the apostles in Jerusalem, as the gospel moves into a new area, as the gospel presented, one of the things that often happens, and it happens as we reach out in the new cultures today, there will be a conflict between the powers. Now, as Americans, you're really taught, like, if you're sick, you automatically go to the doctor. And when things get really, really bad, then you pray. Like when the doctors can't do anything, when science can't take care of everything, then I pray. What I want to understand is that most of the world doesn't do that. Like in sub-Saharan Africa, when they get sick, they all go to the witch doctor. And the witch doctor has great power. In fact, it's resurging in America today. How many of you are, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you are into new health movements? And you take all kinds of pills. And you have all kinds of herbs that you, that you take. There's a tremendous resurgence. When I was studying chemistry back in the 70s, that wasn't the end thing. Science was the answer. Well, now almost all of you are exposed. No, science isn't really the answer. There's lots of other ways. Again, I'm not saying that all that is evil because there are wisdom that's down through the ages. But be really careful. 
because there's a tremendous conflict. Most cultures, there's one side that believes I have the powers over the power. The way that I get the power is I have secret potions and I have secret cures and I have the pill that'll make you well. Whenever you hear this pill will cure everything from a hangnail to arthritis to terminal cancer, it's a lie. Some of you are really into that. I'm going to save you a lot of money. It's really important. When it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. And this conflict has been going on. If you're on the medical side, when you don't believe there's a, a, an upper story, you don't believe that God had anything to do with the healing of the body, if you're a surgeon, you cut up people, man, you're totally dependent upon the supreme God because when you get through cutting, I've never met a surgeon yet that can heal cuts. Boy, they can cut and sew. Then they wait. And they think there's some of them that don't know Jesus or think they're powerful as anything. And I tell them, man, you're the most trusting man and woman of faith I've ever met. Because you cut people every day and you can't do a blessed thing to make sure their bodies heal. And my friends that are believers, man, they pray like crazy. As soon as you get through cutting, Lord, help me to heal fast. That's the balance. What Philip is describing, there's this great conflict, especially when you move in this. In America, we think the conflict isn't so strong, but it is. That's what James Arthur Ray was about. It's still strong. It's right here in the church family. There's the powers of the kingdom of Jesus. Cripples can be healed. Lame people can walk. There can be miracles. I want to understand that the miracles don't happen if someone says, I can make a miracle if you give me some money. No. If someone says, I'm the great one, we're going to find it out, they're not. You have the power. This week, as you pray for safety for our teenagers, there's tremendous power. You can fight against the kingdom of darkness that wants to destroy our kids and to rob them spiritually and physically. The power is in you. And it's a personal power. It's not because you say the right little formula. You can talk to Jesus about what happens this next week in a million different ways. Because your Heavenly Father is personal. He listens to you. You have tremendous power. When you go into a hospital room and your loved one's sick, you can pray. Last night when I did a wedding and a dear father, before he'd even built, I bought this land, had gone out on this far corner of the land, before there was any pond, before there was any trees, he said, Lord, I just would, if you want me to have this, help me to have it. I just want it to be a blessing. If it will be a blessing, then give it to me. And I just married his son and now his daughter-in-law. And we went out on the very spot that's now a beautiful pond and beautiful cypress trees that are 35 feet in the air. I married this couple out on an island. And I'm this daddy bowed and says, oh, heavenly daddy, I asked the Lord years ago for this to be a blessing. If he wanted me to have it, what a blessing it was today. My kids got married here. Should you do that? Yeah. That's how we claim the kingdom of God. We claim, hey, we're in relationship with the living God. So what I want you to see, first of all, the Luke's first point is there's a tremendous clash of powers. But we're on the winning side. We're on the Jesus side. Now we're going to have a conflict, and I want you to see that there's tremendous power on the Jesus side. What I've learned is that on the Jesus side, it's sometimes quieter. 
Like, you don't have to have big rallies. You don't have to have big razzmatazz, big promotion. It's just quiet believers that are just humbly praying and tremendous things are happening. Satan's side counteracts. And what we have in this next section is we have the power of Jesus overpowering his opponents. As, as the gospel moves into Samaria, Satan has controlled Samaria, and Satan's going to counterattack. Look what it says in the next verse. Now we have Satan's emissary. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery. What sorcery is, sorcery is when you're into the occult. I want you to understand the difference between magic and sorcery. In Sherlock Holmes, that Robert Downey Jr. starred in, a lot of you have seen that. If you haven't, it'd be worthwhile for you to see it. In the last Sherlock Holmes, and this is one of the major themes, a lot of Sherlock Holmes stories. Sherlock Holmes is mostly into reason. That's what the idea is. He's mathematically, he's an engineer. And what they did in the last Sherlock Holmes, they did a whole story that looked like it was all the occult. It looked like it was all sorcery. A guy that could rise from the dead. A guy that could vaporize people. And what they did at the end of it is Robert Downey Jr. playing the part of Sherlock Holmes showed you how it was all just physical science. What he did was he exposed that it was just magic. And what I want you to understand is that often is the case. A lot of times, healers, for example, they'll use radio things in their ears. And they'll have people doing interviews. I know that's true because I know some of them that do it. And so it looks like you're in the meeting, like they can read your thoughts. They didn't read your thoughts. And I've seen magicians, like when I was in Houghton's, Andre Cole was one of the greatest musicians in the United States. He would come to our college, and he would show how you could do a whole seance and everything, and it was all just magic. So that's one side, okay? That's what Sherlock Holmes is showing you. Magic is just sleight of hand, the use of science, and it looks like miracle, but it isn't. Everybody understand that? Okay, but I want to understand that the Bible says that there is real powers out there. And all you need to do is talk to a missionary that's gone among like the cannibals in uh, like Indonesia. Some of my buddies or some of my buddies that tried to reach the Shavanti Indians like or the Alka Indians or the, the Wadanis. And you'll find out there's real power. Like my roommate, I've often told you, Wally Turnbull was a missionary kid raised in Haiti. Back when he was raised, there was tremendous voodoo that comes from some of the religions of Southern Africa, very much involved in the occult. And there literally were 78-year-old grandmothers that could barely walk that when they fell into a trance, they would run over hot clothes and then run more than a marathon during the night. We would stay up at night with him enthralling us with missionary scary stories. I want all of you kids to understand, like, don't play with Ouija boards. Don't play with the occult. When you see tables thrown against the wall and stuff like that, you're enamored by that. Then it gets deeper. What I found that some of the most scientific people that I know, when they get older... They get enamored with the Simons. They get enamored with the occult. And what I want you to understand that there is just magic that's just sleight of hand and science, but there also are those that really tap in to the dark side, the wrong side. Jesus says, if you climb up another way, you're a thief, 
and you're a robber. So look what happened. It says this man was called. And it said, Dave, how do I know when someone is not really on the level? How do I know this is the carn artist? Well, when James Arthur Ray boasted that he was someone great, didn't you see just the way he was speaking to you? And you all are dead meat. If a person is good with their tongue, man, you'll follow them. Man, especially if they can do sleight of hand, especially if they can tap into the power. So I want you to get inoculated. Whenever somebody says, how do I know whether someone's a false teacher? When you see their name too much, when they're claiming to be great, notice what it says. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and claim. This man is the divine power. What did James Arthur Ray claim to be in that setting in the desert? Tell me. He played the role of? So as a believer, what do you do if you're ever in that setting at work? And so it's, hey, we're going to do a little role playing. What do you do? You get out of there. You need to have the guts to do this. You should know that. Don't just sit there. Because this is real stuff. He's claiming it to be the divine power. They followed him because he amazed them for a long time with his magic. You can be amazed. I want to understand. Magicians can do really powerful things. Occultists can do even more powerful things. But power and miraculous things don't prove it's the truth. That's what Simon's teaching us. Notice it says they followed him because he amazed them. But when they believed... Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God, there's the counterattack from God's kingdom. When then the name of Jesus, and they were baptized in the name of Jesus, both men and women, so they're baptized in the name of the Savior and the Messiah. I want you to see this often happens. The magician, the occultist, joins the movement. So Simon himself believed, and he was baptized. So everyone's rejoicing. Hey, this former great occultist has been believed, and he's baptized. And the, and, but this is what I want you to see. And you need to learn to listen to stories carefully. Listen to this statement. It just told you Simon believed. Simon was baptized. So what do all of you conclude? Simon has become a full disciple of Judas. We don't know for sure. Notice what it said. And Luke gives you listening. He followed Peter everywhere because he worshiped Jesus. Because he was so thrilled that Jesus died on the cross for his sins. Because Jesus rose again from the dead. Is that what it says? No, he followed Philip everywhere. Why? Because he was astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. That's the warning. So what we have here is, first of all, we learn persecution scattered the sea. We learn that the power of Jesus overpowers the opponents. The next thing I want you to see is very important. This next little section of the story is going to tell us the true power of the Spirit is always connected with the apostles and the teaching that's revealed in the Scripture. This is really important. You say, Dave, how do I know when I'm listening to a teacher speak to me? When they can do great miracles and tremendous healings take place. How can I know that it's not a con? You can know if they say too much of the I, as soon as they say, give me some money. Like as soon as someone says, you can become one of my spiritual warriors. If you give me $10,000, you're out of there. The next thing you can ask yourself is, what do I hear about the cross and the resurrection? Notice what it says. Do I hear more about the spirit and power than I do about the cross and the resurrection and what happened in Jerusalem? 
Notice what it says. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Say, Dave, what's going on here? Some of you have been taught from the time you were kids. The Holy Spirit doesn't come into your life when you're saved. You need to have someone lay their hands on you. Then the person that lays your hands on you has tremendous power, and they also tell you, I'm the one that can tell you the secret. That's not what Dr. Luke is saying. You say, well, Dave, why did they not receive the Holy Spirit? Because remember, Samaria is, is different territory. The Samaritans are divorced from Jerusalem. Go back to John chapter 4 when Jesus talked to the woman when he was going up to Samaria. Jesus reminded her, salvation is of the Jews. Samaritans didn't buy that. So if the Holy Spirit came upon the believers that responded to Philip's message, they would have said, we're another movement within the Jesus movement. By the way, in the second century, they did start saying that. And Gnosticism becomes a great error, which is the idea of Gnosticism is I have the secret knowledge. I'm the one that can tell you about the emanations from the great eternal force. And I'm the one that can help you to learn the right formula to tap into all the emanations. That almost destroyed the body of Christ. And Simon is viewed as the originator of that teaching. So it actually happened in church history. I'm not sure that the historical Simon really did do that. But I do know for sure in church history that great era arose in this area. The Holy Spirit is trying to protect against that so he doesn't just pour himself out until Peter and John, they're the leading apostles in the original apostolic band. If you're a young person here, I'm especially concerned about you. It's very important for you to understand that How can you know it's the truth? It needs to be connected with the apostolic doctrine. That's why I'm teaching you from the book of Acts today. When you're in a church, you should need your Bible. And you should be able to take this section and go back in the afternoon and read through it and figure out where the message came from. And the Holy Spirit inside of you should be going, yeah, That's what we learn in Acts chapter 1. That's what we learn in Acts chapter 2. I can see how it's coming together. You can do that. And if you're enamored because someone can wow you, I promise you, I sold books. I heard some of the greatest motivational speakers you could ever hear. They could make guys do backward somersaults in 110 degree weather. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. I worked with a guy that could, you could be, have $3,000 getting ready to go on vacation in Hawaii, and he can get you to take the $3,000 and use it to buy his books, and your husband will just about kill you when he gets home. He was a liar. Later on, he founded a church, said he graduated from Dallas Seminary. He never went to Dallas. He was a con artist. What act is teaching you? Sometimes a person's going to be quiet. They're not going to have great gifts in speaking, but they're going to be real and genuine and, and humbly teaching you God's holy word. How do you know that it's the truth? Because they'll always connect you with the events of Jerusalem. 
Jesus died in Jerusalem. Jesus was buried in Jerusalem. He rose again in Jerusalem. If you don't hear a teacher telling you, and you need to listen really carefully, because I hear an incredible lot of teachers that will tell me a lot of things, but I have to wait a long time before I hear Jesus died on the cross for our sins. James Arthur Ray didn't teach you. Your problem is you're a sinner. And God sent his son to die for you. That's the only hope we have. And Jesus is the only Savior that in Jerusalem, he was put into a grave and he rose again from the dead. And I want you to have a hope that whatever happens to you, you're connected with that resurrected Savior and he historically lived. If you don't hear that at funerals, at weddings, in the consistent teaching, it's not connected with the apostles. That's why the Holy Spirit wasn't given because the Samaritan church must submit to those eyewitnesses that were present with Jesus when he was baptized. It's the historical Jesus, not some symbolic Jesus. Everybody talks about Jesus. Hindus have a Hindu Jesus. Jews even have a Jewish Jesus. Protestants are not telling you, like, I can, at Yale, there's professors in the, in the university that will teach you Jesus was the ultimate foundation of the gay pride movement. His relationship with the Apostle John was a gay relationship, and he'll prove it to you from the New Testament. There's all kinds of Jesus. Everybody uses Jesus. The only way you can know the real Jesus, he's the Jesus that lived and he died and rose again in Jerusalem. That's why the Holy Spirit wasn't given. The final thing I want you to get is the warning. This is really, really powerful. In this next section, as we close, it says, beware, you can't buy the gift. And I've been telling you that all the way through this message. Whenever somebody asks you for this, I've got a secret. I have the insight, medically. I have the insight, If somebody really had, just stop and think. If I had the message that can make you healthy and wealthy and help you to live forever, would I keep it a secret? Like, would it be ethical to say, I'm not going to tell you to give me $10,000 so you can go to the desert and find out? Come on. How many of you think it's ethical? See, you all know in your heart. You say, Dave, what did Simon do? Look what Simon does. It says, when Simon saw that the Spirit of God was given, this is verse 18, on the apostles, by the laying on of hands of the apostles, he said, well, he offered them money. He said, give me also this ability so that everyone in whom I lay my hand may receive the Holy Spirit. So he's saying the gift comes by money. He's still an occultist. He's a magician. I'm going to tell you the secrets. And the magic power is the laying on of hands. Notice how Peter responds. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. You need to turn around. You need to repent. You need to grieve over the wickedness that's in your heart. That's what he's saying. You need to pray the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such thoughts in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to your sin. Now notice how Simon answers. Then Simon answered, pray the Lord for me so that nothing you said may happen to me. No mention of, oh, I can't believe that I desecrated the Savior. I can't believe that I had such an evil thing that the free gift of grace, I thought you could buy. 
Instead, what they concerned about? Every criminal that I ever meet that has remorse always tells me, you got to get me out of this prison. The things are so bad. Every sinner that I talk to that has remorse is concerned about the consequences of their sin. They're not concerned about the Savior that they've sinned against. Luke leaves the story open. He says, when they testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel throughout the Samaritan villages, so the gospel's going forth. Be careful. When someone says you can get the gift for money, it's a lie. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to pray that your true Holy Spirit would give every one of my brothers and sisters great protection from the evil one. Some of them that are really captivated by self-help gurus, much more than they are by the incredible spirit of Jesus and the power of the cross and resurrection. This morning, Lord, my prayer would be that they would turn away from thinking that mind over matter, learning the right techniques is the doorway to success. Help them right now by the power of your spirit to learn that there's no secrets with Jesus, that he's proclaiming it to the housetops, that he's the Savior, and we need to do that. Help us to let persecution and hard times scatter the seed. Lord, really protect us from turning away from the apostolic, healthy teaching that we're discovering in the book of Acts. Father, there's so many voices around us, and some of the voices are right in the evangelical body of Christ. And it seems so magical. It seems so real. It seems so powerful. But Lord, I pray that you would use today's methods to help many to get down their knees every single day and be listening to your voice in the revelation of your holy word. I just thank you so much that you've already told us about the James Arthur race. So, Lord, I want to pray that you would powerfully use what we've learned from Acts chapter 8 to help us as a church family to be protected from ever taking that journey out into the desert where we will find not life but death. I pray that we'll journey with you into the beautiful garden of the new heaven and new earth that's going to last forever and ever and ever. The Holy Spirit, I ask you to really touch my brothers and sisters' hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.